0: Can I just let you know that I've uh, spent my whole life avoiding uh, the possibility of standing in front of people and either doing two things, one is singing and the other is dancing. Okay, so uh, can I beg you not to post that on the internet? My my staff will mock mock me mercilessly right, for years to come if they spot that, which I know is red ragged or bull I know that therefore it definitely is going on the internet now you know but uh, there you go so look Sam I just you know there's an issue I now have with forgiveness towards you brother (laughs) it's been a lovely weekend great to uh, great to catch up with you I uh, drove for the first time in K well in Malaysia yesterday I took the car into Malacca Uh, took Andrew's uh, uh, Volkswagen, whatever it is And I uh, only had four accidents It was really very good actually <laughs> No, I didn't, it wasn't so bad it's, uh, it's actually It's a great adrenaline buzz though to drive Over here, you know, sort of playing Dare with all the other cars, you know <laughs> Who goes first? Me first, me first, no you, no, okay You go first, you know It's a, a bit terrifying, but we survived now, The trouble was, once we got into Malacca uh, I then said to her Have you got any idea how we got here? And she said no, no, no idea at all. So we weren't sure if we'd ever get back, uh, actually, because we we're by ourselves. But it actually happened. God was very kind. The outline, it's in your booklet this morning. Uh, it's the whole area of guilt in relation to forgiveness. It's a, a critical area, really, because all of us struggle with this question. We all struggle with the issue of the guilt we feel because of our sin... Powerful thing really So I'm going to pray that God And his kindness will uh, Help us to know the nature of forgiveness And the nature of freedom from guilt We join in prayer Frank. Heavenly Father we thank you for Your great generosity Towards us in your son And the fact that you deal with our sin And you deal with the guilt that goes with it Father we pray that as we Consider your word this morning We will know both realities the reality that we are forgiven our sins through what Jesus has done for us on the cross, but also the truth that our guilt is taken in the cross as well. Uh, Father, help us to connect those two things together so we live as the free people you desire us to be. Not free from you, but rather free to know the relationship we have with you for eternity. Father, uh, be gracious with us now, we pray. Amen. It was 1959 and an American Air Force pilot was being admitted to a psychiatric institution for the second time. He was a major. He'd attempted to commit suicide on two occasions. He'd been arrested for fraud and forgery. He'd robbed uh, people. For some years he'd had a huge problem with alcohol. He was diagnosed as an alcoholic and he had destroyed his marriage And his family Now what puzzled uh, The people who knew this Air Force Major Was the fact they couldn't work out why it had happened He'd been a young man With a huge career in front of him And then it seemed to all self-destruct And it all related to an event That had happened 15 years prior to that Prior to 1959 It was an event that had caused his life just to implode. It occurred on the 6th of August, 1945. This man flew the lead plane that dropped the first atom bomb on Hiroshima. 130,000 men, women and children were either killed or injured for life on that day. Shortly after that event, this Air Force Major began having dreams. And in those dreams, uh, he would see uh, Japanese people pursuing him in his dreams, attempting to uh, catch up with him and punish him. The psychiatrist that treated this man said he was subconsciously trying to punish himself for what he'd done, trying to uh, uh, you know, just victimize himself because of the events of that day, his unresolved guilt was destroying and in fact had in many ways destroyed his life. Now there are probably few of us who will know that sort of public level of guilt, an event that leads to that sort of guilt, but can I say that all of us can identify with the feelings, the feelings of guilt that are associated with our sin? I became a Christian when I was about nine, ten years of age. About a year before I became a Christian, I went away on a trip with some friends of mine. We went to a beachside place on the uh, south coast of uh, Australia, just for a holiday together. Great spot. At that stage, this group of friends I was with, we used to just uh, drink alcohol like fish and we get, we get drunk every night on these sort of, uh, these sort of trips. And that happened on one night, we, uh, we all sat around and got drunk together And then this this mate of mine, when we were uh, really very under the weather, we decided we'd walk down to the beach with a chess set and have a a game of chess on the beach, right? Just the sort of dumb thing you do when you're in that situation. We went down to the beach, we were playing chess, just Steve and myself, and uh, as we were playing chess, uh, Steve fell unconscious on the chessboard, just collapsed onto it. And at that moment, uh, in my drunkenness, I actually stole his wallet. And then I picked him up and carried him back to the campsite. The following morning, I felt terrible about what I'd done. But I didn't do anything about it. I stayed quiet about it. No one ever knew that it had occurred. Twelve months later, when I became a Christian, I knew my sins had been dealt with. I was forgiven for everything. Everything that had happened in my life, that and lots of other things. But, you know, I felt this this prompting to actually go and talk to Stephen about what had happened. So I met him for lunch one day and, uh, you know, kept putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. And I said, look, you you won't know this, but when we went away on this holiday, uh, you know how you lost your wallet, you didn't lose it. I I stole it. And I just want to repay the money that I stole off you. And he was just, just blown away. But, you know, I knew that my sin had been forgiven but there was a guilt that attached to that and, uh, and it was appropriate for me to make restitution. You know the feelings of guilt don't you? Those feelings of lack of self worth, lack of confidence. For some people it's even self destruction that occurs. They take actions against themselves. How do you deal with guilt? It's powerful. It eats away at you. How, how do you. how do you sort that out, that problem of guilt in your life? The popular view of guilt today, the non-Christian view, is that it's just bad. You just need to you know, ignore it, you know, sort of get rid of it, because it's, just, it's evil by its very nature, according to the way in which our world thinks. But let me say that the biblical view of guilt is that it is real. Romans 3 verse 23 says this, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. We are all guilty. That is the real situation that we're all in. So, how do you deal with your guilt? Well, If you're following the outline, I want to cover a few lousy strategies for dealing with guilt. Uh, a few of the popular ways I think we choose to deal with guilt we had uh, Psalm 51 read for us just a few minutes ago King David a man who was convicted of his guilt coming before God he knew his sin his guilt there's the, as you read that psalm there's the depression that overwhelms him in the face of his sin and it all arises out of events that occurred in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 I wonder if you turn to those chapters with me 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 the events to do with his sin with Bathsheba 2 Samuel chapter 11 let's look at that together I want to read the first few verses of chapter 11 with you this is what gave rise to Psalm 51 2 Samuel 11 verse 1 in the spring at the time when kings go off to war David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army they destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah But David remained in Jerusalem One evening David got up from his bed And he walked around on the roof of the palace And from the roof he saw a woman bathing The woman was very beautiful And David sent someone to find out about her The man said Isn't this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam And the wife of Uriah the Hittite Then David sent messengers to get her She came to him and he slept with her, for she had purified herself from her uncleanness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. It's a fairly straightforward story. It's springtime, it's the time when kings lead their armies out to war, but not this king. You see, this king, King David, he stays home. It's time for a little me time, you know, a time to recharge the batteries. He's in his mid-forties, been a hard climb to the top. Jerusalem was secure, the nation generally had subdued all their foes. And he thought, ah, it's about time to spoil myself. Bit of home, leave, send the army out with the leader. Kings normally go out with the army, not this time. Then one evening, he saw the beautiful Bathsheba. Uriah, her husband, was at the front fighting with the army where David should have been And David slept with her I suspect he was planning for it to be no more than just a one night stand You know, just a a little fling on the side No one need ever know But Bathsheba became pregnant And with her husband away fighting A scandal was about to break how do you manage this sort of crisis? Well you get in the spin doctors, you know, the media people, to massage it around and see how you can best deal with it. What well, can I ask you? How, when you're exposed in your sin, what's your default way of dealing with it? What's the way you naturally try and deal with your sin when you're convicted of it? I remember when um, our third child David was just a little boy, I guess he was three or four we had this rule where our kids weren't allowed to operate any electrical implements for fear that they'd electrocute themselves and uh, that that included everything in the kitchen Uh, one morning on the weekend I remember hearing David, uh, who was always a big little boy uh, patting his way down the hallway to the kitchen you know right, got to the kitchen And uh, then Sue and I were in bed, but we could hear him, everything he was doing. And we could hear the spring on the toaster. He put the toast in and spring. He wasn't allowed to use the toaster. He knew he wasn't allowed to use the toaster. So Sue and I sort of flipped coins for who was going to go and sort him out. And uh, Sue won and she went out to the kitchen, just quietly down the passageway, got to the kitchen and uh, David's there waiting for his toast to pop. And Sue said, David what are you doing Except in a very feminine voice um, And uh, I remember David's words I could hear him I was just laughing in the bedroom Sue was being very serious In the kitchen And David said, Sorry mum Sorry mum Sorry mum Sorry 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 mum. Sorry mum Sorry mum Sorry mum Just get it Over and over again And then eventually Sue had to break in And she said David What does sorry mean And he said I won't get a snack Okay, when you're caught in sin, what is your reaction? What's your natural way of dealing with it? David he tried to cover it up. That was the way he went about it. It wasn't Watergate. This was Bathsheba Gate. Okay, that's what's going on here. That's the way he he tried to deal with it. Look, verse six. David sent this word to Joab, send Uriah the Hittite, and Joab sent him to David. And when Uriah came to him, David asked him. How is Joab? How are the soldiers? How is the war going? It's terrible, isn't it? And he's not interested at all in how the war is going, how the soldiers are going. No, he's just buttering up Joab. How's it all going, Joab? Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. All right? You can almost see the wink at this point. All right, he's saying, Go down to your wife, sleep with your wife and that way maybe the child can be attributed to you and not to me it's wicked Uriah left the palace if you know the story Uriah are good about the fact that uh, he was back with his wife while the men were at the front so he displays enormous integrity he doesn't sleep with his wife the following day the king gets him in and says you know what's going on here you're back from the front well, he didn't sleep with your wife why didn't you do it and actually gets him drunk and thinks that by doing that uh, he will have secured the situation because his, his defences will be reduced he'll go home he'll sleep with his wife Uriah doesn't feel right about it so eventually King David sends Uriah back to the front with a letter to Joab saying put him at the front of the battle And then get his mates just to withdraw around him so he is killed. That's his approach. And that's exactly what happens. Uriah is killed. And after a suitable and appropriate time of mourning, David marries Bathsheba. It's horrible, isn't it? What's your strategy? for dealing with sin. How do you cope with the guilt that you feel in the face of your sin? Sigmund Freud uh, was into denial. He said that all guilt was bad. Uh, he said, my behaviour isn't the problem, it's my guilt that's the problem. So just a denial of it. I like the view of that great 21st century philosopher, Angelina Jolie, who, uh, Outstanding really, a bit of a wild child. This is what she said about guilt. I don't believe in guilt. It just the lips, you know, sort of drifts off in a puff of uh, denial. You know, so it, does, it doesn't exist at all as far as she, she's concerned. But you know, it's like saying I don't believe in gravity. It doesn't disappear just because you say that. You can have excuses. Uh, I think one of the great excuses I hear from people today is that they blame their parents. For their sins, and I did that up until the time when I had children. Uh, you know, just you know, I have three children. My daughter, she can't save. You know, she has no sense of how to at all. Right? that's The problem, and uh, and there's a sense in which I think she blames us for not raising her better. The brothers actually are very good at saving. They can do that fine, but she doesn't. So Sue so and I just praying that you marry a rich husband. It's a solution as far as uh, we think that that's, uh, that's the way to deal it. So we need to replace this mic So you can have denial. Uh, you can make uh, various excuses for why it's happened. Sometimes you can um, self-justify. Uh, you can look to the more positive, you know, life-giving aspects of your life and say, you know, sure I sin, but there are these other things that outweigh it. Or you can look down on other people. You find other people who are more sinful than you to make yourself feel better. It happens actually in, in prisons. Sue and I both worked as lawyers, which meant we had to go into prisons. In prisons there's, there's a pecking order when it comes to sin. Okay? The murderers are seen as the great guys, I don't know why. They look down on the thieves. The thieves look down on the rapists, the rapists look down on the pedophiles. Okay? Each each group just beats up the next group down. So there's a pecking order even among those who are caught up in prison. And it's possible to actually take that same sort of approach uh, in relation to our own sin and comparing ourselves with other people. Now, some people try and deal with their guilt with medication. Someone gave me an article from uh, Psychology Today. It talked about some investigations they were doing with a drug called propranolol. Uh, Some of you who are are medical types may know about it. But they had actually done some research to show that this drug was very helpful in enabling people to forget what they didn't want to remember. So you can deal with it with drugs. You can repress it. you You can try and hide it and cover it up. But friends, none of these strategies, none of them work. It's like going to a doctor and he tells you you've got a brain tumour and you should go home and take two headache tablets. It doesn't deal with sin and it certainly doesn't deal with guilt. Because here's the thing. You can hide your guilt and your sin from other people. We're experts at doing that. But you can never hide your sin from God. Can we be to the end of 2 Samuel chapter 11 if you've still got it open? We just read about the the terrible things that David did When it came to Bathsheba And at the end of that chapter Here is the summary Verse 27 After the time of mourning David had Bathsheba brought to his house And she became his wife And bore him a son Now you know I bet David thought well drawing a line under this one You know uh, Risk managed this pretty well. But look at the rest of the sentence. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Displeased the Lord. Ah, friends, we can play games with each other. You can cover up and uh, pretend with one another. Uh, We can do that very well. But you can. Never hide your sin from God. Never, ever, ever. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. It raises a question though that I just want to take a bit of a sidetrack on before I talk about how to deal with guilt. And the question is this, are, are feelings of guilt good things or bad things? Is it a good thing to feel guilty or a bad thing? To feel guilty Some like Freud uh, argued that all guilt was negative and it should be rejected and there actually can be false guilt. Uh, let me make that perfectly clear uh, some people I know feel guilty unless their house is always clean. You know that's, that's a, it's not a, a Christian sort of guilt at that point it's just a, uh, a silly reaction in some ways. When the twin towers were run into by the aeroplanes and came down, uh, there were I think something over 6,000 people that were killed. Many, of course, survived who were in the plane in the uh, buildings that day. But here was the interesting thing: many of the survivors of the twin towers disaster actually felt guilt because they'd survived. It was, it was a survivor guilt that was called at the time. Now, they had no reason to feel guilty, but they still felt it. There can be false guilt. It can also be floating guilt. Now, some people go through life and they feel guilty about almost everything. Sometimes that can be because of the family of origin that they grew up in. They, they were made to feel guilty about almost everything they did. Sometimes it's because they are guilty about something and that guilt just flows over into other areas of their life. There can be false guilt. There can be floating guilt. But, you know... Guilt can have some real benefits, I think. Even secular academics acknowledge that guilt has some some benefits for our relationships. Again, there was an article in Psychology Today and that the heading for the article was In Praise of Guilt. In Praise of Guilt. And the, uh, the psychologist who wrote the paper was saying that guilt can be a trigger to improve our relationships with other people. It signals there's a problem and can alert us to the need to do something about it. But you know, even more important than the feelings of guilt that we have is the fact that they alert us to our real problem. Apparently when people have leprosy, uh, it's a terrible disease, but one of the dangers with it is that it affects the nerve endings, which means you become desensitised to pain. So a uh, person who's got leprosy can put their hand in a fire and not know the hand is actually burning because of the way in which the nerves have been damaged. Guilt operates in a powerful way to alert us to a real problem that we have with God. It's beneficial in that sense. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Objectively we fail to live according to the way in which our Creator and Maker has made us to live the way God intended. So the guilt is a real reminder of that reality to fail to treat God properly. Guilt. So what's an effective strategy for dealing with guilt? Point number three in the outline, if you're following me. What's an effective strategy for dealing with guilt? Now lots of people come up with various ideas. Here's here's one I found on the internet. A strategy for dealing with guilt. Use Use an imagery scenario with guilt as an object that you package in a nice box. It's brought to a mountaintop and thrown off a cliff for good. Affirm yourself that you deserve to solve this problem. You deserve to be good to yourself. You deserve to have others be good to you too. Next step, if your guilt is not resolved after completing these steps, return to step one and begin again. Which tells you how successful this scenario is. It's just a a cosmetic solution. It doesn't deal with the real problem. Guilt has amazingly elastic qualities. It keeps coming back and back and back. How do you deal with guilt? Let me take you back. King David come back to 2 Samuel chapter 12 and let's look at what happens next in this scenario that leads to Psalm 51 I read from verses 1 to 7 of chapter 12 the Lord sent Nathan to David that's the prophet and when he came to him he said there were two men in a certain town one rich and the other poor The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he bought. He raised it. It grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveller came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveller who had come to him. Instead he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who would come to him. David burned with anger against the man and he said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then David and then Nathan said to David, and I reckon this is one of the most cutting lines in the whole of the Bible, the most arresting lines. Nathan said to David, You are that man. You are that man. It's a horrible thing. To be confronted with your sin and your guilt. It's a terrible thing, really, to have that come home to you. And yet, friends, it is such an important starting point. It is such a critical place to begin. Because guilt is vastly underrated. For this powerful force can push us towards repentance and forgiveness and reconciliation you see guilt is God's finger on your life to bring conviction conviction and the need for turning to him it's God's finger on your life to show that he hasn't abandoned you he hasn't given up on you he hasn't deserted you then we turn to Psalm 51 Where we see David the man who is confronted with his sin, we see how he then wrestles with sin here in Psalm 51. So, turn to it with me, Psalm 51. For it's such a helpful psalm, this man who is so aware of his sin and his failure. How does David deal with his guilt? Well, friends, the first thing he does is he faces up to it. Verses 3 and 4. He says, I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your son. You see, sin isn't just about failing your own high standards or letting down other people. Sin is failing to live up to the way in which our creator, our maker, our judge expects us to live. We need to line up with God's view on our sin. God's view on our guilt. David moves on. He confesses his sin. That's what he says. He says, I have sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. It's not enough, friends, just to feel bad about the fact that you sin. Guilt drives you to feeling lousy. It's not enough just to stay there. Guilt is directional. It's meant to drive you forward and take us somewhere. It's like when we're coming down in the car down here to uh, uh, this conference in Malacca. I was driving with Andrew and his uh, his second car, I think it is, and we were monitoring the temperature gauge on the car all the way down. Well, the temperature gauge is an indicator of something. If it gets too hot, the uh, engine will overheat and it will uh, destroy itself. So we're monitoring carefully because if it got too hot, it was meant to drive us into a service station or a petrol station and stop and let the engine cool down. It's the same with guilt. It's meant to drive us somewhere. No, it's meant to drive us somewhere. It's meant to drive us to confessing our sins. And 1 John 1 verse 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we've got to be careful not to get too legalistic with sin. You see, you could spend your whole life with a little notebook in your top pocket, you know, and every time something goes wrong, you take out your pen and you just record, you know, the sin you've committed. You know, but you'd never have a book that was big enough. You know, and you could just, and you never remember all the sins you've done. You're never even aware of some of the sins that you've committed. But where you are aware of your sin, It's great to actually confess it and come before God. It is real because God deals with our sin. Let me say, confession is not where Christians generally go when it comes to their guilt. Do you know what most Christians do when they sin and they feel bad about it? They wallow in their guilt actually um, self-punish. They say, oh, I should feel bad about this for a considerable period of time. You know, oh, beat myself up. Oh, bad boy, bad boy, bad boy, you know. And, uh, you know, you do that in all sorts of different ways. Punishing yourself for for sinning, you see. Which is a really dumb, dumb, dumb thing to do. Do you know why it's so dumb? Why should you punish yourself when God has already punished his son for you? So you don't need to suffer the consequences of your guilt. See, guilt is meant to drive you to the foot of the cross. And that is the thing that David does so well. What he does is he believes the promises of God about the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you haven't heard anything else in this session, this is what you need to listen to. Right, this is the critical point. The key thing when it comes to sin and getting forgiveness is not what we do, it is what God has done for us. Most psychiatric models for dealing with, uh, with sin and with guilt, they are self-help strategies. Go up to the top of the hill, imagine your sin... Put it in a box, an imaginary box Cast it off the mountain Do you feel much better? Okay. Uh, there's a place for those sort of Therapeutic sort of models But David came to God Believing that God could do something about his sin And his guilt That's what he believed Verse 7 He cries out to God He says Cleanse me with hyssop And I shall be clean Wash me And I will be whiter than snow If you do this God It will happen It's the same idea in 1 John 1 that I referred to before. He will forgive our sins. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God promises to deal with our sin. He promises to deal with our guilt. He promises to forgive us. And it's all on the basis of what he has done for us in his Son. Not what we do, but what he has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 8 says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God objectively deals with our guilt by placing it on the Lord Jesus on the cross. That's where your guilt finds an end. And if you put your trust In Jesus, then you are declared not guilty by God despite your sin. The way you're freed from guilt is to apply the cross to your guilt. That's the way in which it happens. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus not condemned not guilty and actually no reason to feel guilty either for just a few moments let me just tease out some of the implications of this reality for us and it is so important because I deal with Christians time and time again who are just in the grip of guilt they feel the guilt associated with their failures as human beings And it is because they have not believed God. They have not truly trusted in what God has done for them in the cross. There is no need for a Christian person to feel guilty. Let's tease out the implications. What if feelings of guilt still do persist? I mean, what if, uh, even though you've confessed your sin, you know, the reality of the cross, dealing with your sin and your guilt, what if you still feel guilty? I mean, what do you do then? Friends, you've got to think about whether, whether there's false guilt, whether it's the spotless home guilt. Now, some people just, just have a tendency to feel guilty for no reason at all. Can I say also that guilt is different from regrets. Now, it's like I was saying yesterday, sometimes your sin has negative implications in other people's lives. And you may feel bad because of the implications of your sin and the way it's affected other people. It's appropriate to feel regret when you see that. It's not appropriate, though, to feel guilty and to be caught up in guilt as a result. Here's the third thing about ongoing feelings of guilt. We will still sin this side of heaven. Right? Those, look, those who aren't aware of their ongoing sin in life, I'd like to have a chat to you afterwards, okay? And uh, Because the very denial of your sinfulness is an indicator to me that you are sinful, all right? We're all sinful and we'll continue to sin as we head towards heaven. That is just the reality. And what you do in the face of your guilt is allow it to drive you to the foot of the cross and to claim the forgiveness that you have and the freedom from guilt you have in the Lord Jesus. Trust in the death of Jesus. But here is the one that I think people struggle with most. What about when you're aware of your sin, past sin? You've actually done what King David does. You realise your guilt. You confess your sin to God. You know that Jesus has dealt with it on the cross. And then you, you still feel guilty about it afterwards. You know the truth, but you struggle to apply the truth and have freedom from guilt. Here's what some Christians then think. They then think, well, maybe I wasn't sincere enough in my confession of sin. And if I'd, I'd been more passionate about the confession of my sin, then God would have forgiven me and I wouldn't feel as bad as I do. So they go back to God in prayer and say, God, that sin that I confessed to you, I'm going to confess it again. I don't confess my, my guilt and my sin to you and have you deal with it. So and then they that doesn't work they come back a third time just keep confessing that sin until suddenly the feelings go away if you do that what you're inadvertently doing is saying to God your forgiveness is contingent upon how much I do to be forgiven how sincere I am how genuine I am I confess my sin you know, could I be more passionate or genuine about the... Conf- I suppose I could. Maybe, I don't know. And that's the thing, you play a game. But the game is played about how much I need to feel or do or say or be in order for God to forgive me. That is absolute garbage when it comes to what the Gospel says. you understand? Our forgiveness is not based on our sincerity. Our forgiveness is based on the grace and the mercy of God and his Son. And you cast your your sin at the foot of the cross and you claim the promise that God does forgive us. You see, when you feel guilty for sin that you've already confessed, you go back to the cross and you claim the promise of God. You don't reconfess. One of my staff members um, a couple of years ago, in Adelaide everyone rides uh, push bikes to work and we even have uh, push bike lanes and no one would ever do it in KL, but uh, in, in Adelaide lots of people ride their bikes to work. One of my staff was riding his bike to work one day and uh, there was a bit of a traffic jam and as he was riding up on the, in the bike lane on the inside of traffic, this car, this woman got impatient, just pulled out of traffic and knocked him off his bike. He went sailing out of the car, landed on, the, on his shoulder and broke, broke a bone in his shoulder. It was pretty painful, is he? He was in hospital for several days while they x-rayed it and tried to sort it out and get the pain under control. His name was Craig. I went to visit him in hospital with one of the other staff members. And uh, as we were talking to him, he said, you know, the woman that knocked me off my bike, she is just plaguing me the whole time. She rings me up several times a day to apologise... Tell me how sorry she is and ask after my health. He says, driving me nuts. You know, we should just leave me alone. He said, in more polite ways than that, but, but that was essentially the message, you know. He's an otherwise godly man. I'm sure it was the drugs that were driving him in that direction. But uh, the other staff member I came with, uh, while we were there, the woman rang as if to prove Craig's point. And he was being very patient on the phone, you know, look, it's okay, you know, and they're having this discussion. The staff member I was with, Said to Craig, he said, "Tell her you forgive her." And Craig started of going. <laughs> he said, he, obviously it'd be awkward to say that on the phone. He's saying, "Tell her you forgive her." He just kept repeating it. So eventually, Craig said, "Yeah, look, Mary, I just want to let you know that I forgive you for what happened when you knocked me off the bike." He said the conversation completely changed from there. And the woman stopped calling it, didn't need to, it extraordinary, the way in which that word of forgiveness had power in his life. Let me say today, I would be stunned if there aren't people here who even as I'm talking are just so aware of sin And you are labouring under guilt. And today, you need to hear a voice. Not the voice of Craig, my staff member saying I forgive you. But rather the voice of God, who speaks into your life and says because of what I have done for you in my son on the cross and because you are one of mine, know that I forgive you. Friends, we need to hear that voice on a daily basis, to be reminded of all our great God has done for us in the cross and to know the freedom from our sin, but the freedom from our guilt. We are not called to labour under that. Our sin has been nailed to the cross and with everything that goes with that, it is dealt with. And you know, we actually deny the promises of God When in the face of our sin and our guilt we don't rush to the cross and say, Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful that you've dealt with my sin in the Lord Jesus and that I am free and forgiven. My brothers and sisters in Christ, today, do you need to hear this word? A word not from me, but from God speaking your life and saying I forgive you I forgive you what I'd like to do right now is just, just to pause for a moment because quite honestly I'll be stunned if there aren't people here this morning, this afternoon who need to stop and to actually do business with God and claim the freedom from guilt that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ let me just give you a minute or two so you can quietly pray to God. And then I'll, uh, I'll finish by praying for all of us. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we are, uh, like King David, so aware that our sin and our guilt are always before us at one level. And yet, Father, we pray that we will apply uh, your antidote to this problem. We won't wallow in that guilt, uh, wallow in self-pity, bid ourselves up for our sins, but rather claim the promises that you have made us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that in the cross our sin is dealt with, that the penalty has been paid, And that our guilt is dealt with there. Now, Father, we pray that we'll live in the light of this freedom. Not a a freedom, therefore, to sin. We know that that would be a denial also of the cross. But rather a freedom to live in relationship with you. Constantly depending on your grace and mercy. Shown in the cross as the demonstration of the fact that that relationship is secure. Now, Father, we do ask that we will be people who are able to share this life-giving and freedom-giving gospel with others. Uh, Father, to know that we're right with you because of what you've done in Jesus is just extraordinary. Father, help us to live as guilt-free people, to be quick to come before you when we're aware of our sin and to claim for ourselves what you've done for us on the cross, dependent not rather on how sorry we feel, but rather how great the sacrifice of Jesus was and how thoroughgoing it was in dealing with our sin and guilt Father we pray that the truth of the gospel will work its way into every aspect of our lives and also into every aspect of our feelings ultimately Father we know that this won't be final until we actually see you face to face yet Father we pray that we will claim these promises of yours by faith and live in the light of them so that we will live as your free, forgiven, guilt-free people. Father, we pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.